My name is Shorsha Dunbar and I'm your host. Hello and welcome to the Adventure Games Podcast. My name is Shorsha Dunbar. I hope everyone is well. Uh, Now, a few weeks ago, I was delighted enough to speak with uh, Mark Johallam and James Spanos of Wormwood Studios. Um, I'd been hoping to get them on the podcast for quite a while, and uh, finally we were able to make it happen. And uh, it was as good as I expected, to be quite honest. So they are the developers of uh, Primordia and Strangeland, and uh, we definitely reviewed at least Strangeland. I played Primordia before I started the podcast, but it's a fantastic game. It's one of my favorites of recent years. Um, I would encourage everyone to play it. Um, and they were both absolutely fantastic to talk to. Now, uh, just a slight not warning, but uh, we did get a little bit emotional because we spoke about grief and depression, which if you've played any of their games, it's uh, not um, it's not going to be surprising. There is also a spoiler. Uh, we do give um, some warning uh, of uh, Primordia. So if you haven't played that game, as I said, I would encourage you to play it and then listen to this interview. But uh, if you have played it, then I think you will uh it's great to hear perspective but um but yeah we do spoiler a little bit of that game uh in particular uh it's not long though so and i don't think it's a huge uh it shouldn't affect people's enjoyment if you haven't played it but uh but yeah no it was fantastic speaking to both mark and james and um and yeah here is our interview first of all here is a trailer for their latest game a strange land please enjoy I see you, Querent, still burning with questions. Where am I? (laughs) You'll find out soon enough. There was a golden-haired woman who threw herself down a well. She's trying to save you. This is your game to play. You made the rules. You need to find her. Locked away up there, festering. You know how this ends. It was never a matter of winning, just a question of how much you would lose. If a man writes death a thousand times, he starts to wonder, is that even a word? But it is. Oh, how it is. I am delighted to be joined by uh, two very, very talented developers, two people who I've wanted to have on this podcast for a long time, and finally we're able to get together. I am talking about uh, Mark Johallam and James Spanos uh, of Wormwood Studios, developers of Primordia and Strangeland. So, hello, Mark and James. How are you guys doing? 
I'm doing great. Thank you for having us on the show. So this, you're very welcome. So this is Mark, um, and uh, believe we'll be hearing from James. So hello, yes. James. Hello, of course. Uh, I was just trying not to interrupt Mark. Um, <laughs> I do that all the time. But yes, oh. of course. Thanks for having us. I've been uh, listening to a lot of these podcasts and enjoying them. Actually, it's one of the few. Po- I'm not a podcast person, <laughs> so it's one of the few podcasts that I find very interesting. Oh, th- thank you very much. Um, it's uh, it's a pleasure to to hear you say that because we have reviewed uh, your games. Now, um, mm-hmm. I started the podcast after you released Primordia, so I didn't officially review it on the game. But as I told you guys before recording, I love the game. Um, mm-hmm. I really, really enjoyed it. And I really enjoyed Strangeland as well, which we will talk about. And I know mm-hmm. Thomas, who reviewed the game, he really loved Strangeland. Uh, because there's a lot to talk about in particular with that game. Mm-hmm. And um, and we might uh, just let people know we might be going into some spoilers for Strange in particular. We will let people know there will be, uh, I mean, maybe not a klaxon, but spoiler klaxon. We will let people know. So, so far it's safe. We will give you plenty <laughs> of opportunity um, if you wish. Um, but yeah, needless to say, I would recommend that people play both games if you haven't already. Um, but before we talk about uh, those games. A question that I ask, uh, I try and ask all adventure game developers is, uh, do you guys remember what was your your first adventure game or your favorite adventure game? Uh, maybe the one that got you started playing adventure games. Um, Mark, do you, do you have any uh, favorite games in particular? Yeah. So the first that I ever played was King's Quest 2, uh, which I played at a neighbor's house and did not like it. Oh. I have a very <laughs> intense memory of being in the there's like a a hut where there's a cauldron on a fireplace and you had to do something, knock it over or something. And it, we couldn't figure out the verb or the noun to do what we wanted to do. And we just sat there, you know, trying every possible combination and, and couldn't get any farther with it. So based on that experience, I did not particularly <laughs> like the genre. That was maybe in, I don't know, 1988 or something. And then uh, a little while later, I played Loom, and that was the game that got me hooked. Um, I don't know if people played it when it first came out, but it was one of the of that era of games where the game box came with a lot of what were called feelies. So in the Loom's case, there were two in particular. There was like an audio cassette that set up the story. There was just like a really well put together radio play, basically setting up the setting. And then the game manual included uh, what was called the book of drafts. So spells in loom were called drafts and they were a sequence of notes. And the way they set it up, which is brilliant, is it's like a spell book. It doesn't tell you how to cast the spells, but it does tell you what the spells do and gives you a little history of them with like this woodblock print beside each spell and there are many more spells in the book than there are in the game and each one has this little story this guild or that guild created it and so on and even before i you know put the first disc into the computer i was completely immersed in the world and then the game itself is visually beautiful it has beautiful music some of which is from tchaikovsky and just has this story that's just a lovely story mm. about, you know, a, basically this bumbling. The main character has a very good heart 
and is not particularly competent. So like many adventure game heroes of the era, he's sort of a bumbling fool, but with this very good heart that contrasts with like, you know, Roger Wilco or Leader Sutleri or Guybrush, all have a certain obnoxiousness to them. Whereas Bobbin, who's the protagonist of Loom, is just immensely likable, even though he's not particularly good at what he does. So that game made a, a huge impression on me. And from the minute I played it, I knew I wanted to make an adventure game one day. And basically started out, you know, first thing I did is I asked my parents, could we go to the computer store? There was this computer store called Egghead Software. And I wanted to buy um, the, like a C compiler. At the time, the only programming language I knew, James will laugh at this, was QuickBasic. Um, and so I, I knew I needed like a more powerful programming language to do it. <laughs> but we went and it was very expensive to buy C. We couldn't afford it. And so I was reduced to only using QuickBasic and did make a variety of adventure games in QuickBasic. But basically from like age 12 to 32... That was what I, I really wanted to make an adventure game, an adventure game and a role-playing game. And I just kept trying and trying. And that is ultimately the path that led to the three of us, uh, James, Victor, and I making Primordia together. Lovely. Oh. Yeah, I haven't actually played Loom, believe it or not, even though I'm a big LucasArts fan. Um, oh, but I think that's, game. yeah, I think that's probably the only, well, I, I haven't played um, uh, Zach McCracken either. So those are probably, I think, the two games that I haven't played. Well, I haven't played Labyrinth. Okay, so yeah, those are the three games that I haven't played. <laughs> I have played LucasArts games, I promise you. <laughs> but so, uh, Loom is great. I mean, so one problem is today, the version available on Steam is a not very good VGA. Yeah, I've heard, port. yeah. So the EGA one without voices, there's like a way to do EGA with voices that I think is the best. But the EGA art is really cool, how they managed to pull that off. Mm. Um, it's a great game to play with kids. So it was, and I'm, as I should let James answer the question too, but um, it was the second game I played, adventure game I played with my daughters. The first was Primordia uh, and then Loom. And then we played um, Pajama Sam, also a great adventure game. Yeah. And those are all like great entry points because Loom is a very forgiving game and it's just, it's beautiful and like, it feels less stressful than some adventure games because there's no dead ends. The puzzles are kind of easy. So anyway, highly recommend it. Yeah, so ahead of its time, probably. Oh, yeah, uh, very, very interesting game, uh, actually. Uh, somebody uh, tried to do a, a, a sequel to it. It looked really cool. I don't know if that project ever took off. I don't think it did. I haven't heard about a sequel. I mean, unless it's a fan-made sequel, but... It was fan-made, yeah. Right. Was, I think yeah, it was because... called Forged or Forged yeah. or something. Oh, like it vaguely, sounds vaguely familiar because I believe it's Loom ended on a cliffhanger. Yeah. Yeah, oh, that's oh, that's frustrating when that happens. Um, but, uh, but yeah, no, thank, thank you, Mark. Interesting that the first adventure game well, you didn't like... So there's not much nostalgia there, I imagine. <laughs> um, well, no, mine. I mean... Oh, go ahead, James. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, sorry. Yeah. So, so, uh, yeah. So, James, uh, do you have any? Uh, do you remember your first adventure game or any particular favorites? Uh, a PC died for my adventure game, and um, funnily enough, it created my love for adventure games. So, uh, two thousand one. Um, 
Escape from Monkey Island happens and everybody's like, this is an old game and, you know, it's an old series and I've never heard of it before. Monkey Island, I didn't know what that was. So I, I buy the game and I start playing it uh, <clears throat> and it burns up my my computer like no joke it does it, it was an old computer oh. it, it destroyed the the powering uh, unit and so i had an old one but it was like um how do i put this it was not really good and i didn't have windows back then it wasn't easy to get windows you needed to buy them and uh, it was a lot of money so i couldn't ask my dad for that and to buy a powering unit so um we were stuck on DOS days, uh, me and my brother, and we were playing MAME and stuff like that. And um, that's when I met my cousin, who was a big fan of ad adventure games and a big fan of Monkey Island. And he said, I don't, I don't like Escape from Monkey Island, but you can play. I have uh, all the floppy disks of all the rest if you want to get them. So he gave me Simon the Sorcerer, all the Sierra games. Uh, Minecraft Island 1 and 2 and so I I played Minecraft Island 1 which I think was 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 really good because I really liked Escape from Minecraft Island my Minecraft Island story could go forever by the way yeah uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> this is not even the the beginning but I played Minecraft Island 1 and I liked it very much but uh, I played a version that didn't have any audio so I wasn't a really big fan but I liked the jokes very much and then I played Minecraft Island 2, which is incidentally my favorite game of all time. Um, and I loved it very, very much. I know a lot of people dislike the change in Minecraft Island 2, but I, I love it with all my heart. When when Ron Gilbert announced um, Return to Minecraft Island, I was ecstatic. It was like it took about 30 years for that to happen. Um but I played it and I love Minecraft 2. It's my favorite game ever. Uh, huge, huge fan of it. I think I've finished it like so many times. It's it's pointless at this point to remember. <laughs> but then I tried to find Minecraft 3 and nobody had it. And nobody back then it was difficult to find uh, games to buy in Greece. Uh, even now it's still difficult to find it. So I couldn't find it to buy it anywhere. And I, I remember when I was like 10 years old, my English teacher played the game and uh, and I go to him and I go, remember that game you played back then when I joined the, this was like me when I was like 16 at the time. And this happened six years earlier. And he goes, yeah, I, I love Mike Allen. That's the best game ever. He goes, I have Curse of Mike Allen, uh, but I'm, I'm on, a, I'm moving. He was moving houses and uh, he was like, but I'll look for it. And he tried to find it, couldn't find it. So I'm like, okay, this is over. <laughs> there's no way I'm gonna play the game ever and then I met this this uh, uh, this jock kind of person in school like he was like the the prom king equivalent like <laughs> no no nobody you would think that would play games back then we're talking 2000s games were not as popular as they are I was more ostracized then than I am mm. now now it's like I play games who cares back then it was in Greece specifically it was not a thing uh Anyway, I find the Curse of Mike Allen from this guy. He goes, uh, if you give me Metal Gear Solid, I'll give you Mike Allen. And I get the game and I played it. It's glorious. So I went like four, three, sorry, four, one, two, three. That, that was the order I played the games in. Um, cool. But 
but yes, a uh, huge fan of the Sierra <laughs> games. Not all of them. Not a fan of King's Quest. I will agree with Mark on that. <laughs> yeah, there, I mean, there has some very strange kind of puzzles in those games. I played them as an adult with, with the walkthrough. Um, so I don't really have the nostalgia for those games. I, I enjoyed them. I took, you know, I could see what they were going for. But yeah, I do agree. I think that Monkey Island series is is one of my favorite series as well. Um, I started on the third Monkey Island, then one, two, and then four. Um, so a bit, bit of a strange mix there. But um, I think the King's Quest games, as I got older, I actually appreciate them more. Because a lot of what seems outrageous about them is actually very consistent with a fairy tale setting. Right. Yeah. You know, so I I replayed them with my daughters at an age when we were reading a lot of fairy tales. And the idea as a player, you think like, it's absurd. You do one thing out of order in this game and you die. You forget to pick up one item and you're locked out of the rest (laughs) of the game, whatever it is. But actually, this is like how all these fairy tales go right like they're seven brothers and they have to go into like a dream world to meet the princess or whatever the first six all die and it's because of silly stuff like one of them takes one step off the stairs and falls to his death the next one forgets (laughs) to bring his dancing shoes and dies and it's like you know i think roberta williams was really drawing on that material she was a real you know, really immersed herself in this fairy tale stuff when she was designing them up to and including if they're like, I'm fairly sure King Graham's design, like his visual design is from this 1930s fairy tale book that I was reading with Mm. my daughters. Cause it's like the guy has the little cap and the tunic and the same color scheme. And I just think that's actually cool. I mean, it may not, may or may not make for a great (laughs) playing experience. (laughs) Although we shouldn't forget millions of people played the games and loved them. So, mm-hmm. you know, maybe in retrospect now people don't like them, but at the time people did. But I just think anything that emerges, I don't know, from a love of some something other than games, right? There's something kind of cool about a game that comes from loving fairy tales as opposed to a game that's really like a reaction to other games, because those reactions can generally are more fun to play because they're mm. they're consistent with gaming conventions and with gaming gamers' expectations, but they don't revitalize the the medium the same way you know it does when someone takes an outside influence and brings it into the medium. Yeah, no, I, I agree entirely with that. And um I I could speak at length about you know the well, over-reliance of nostalgia, you know, but uh, I won't. We will talk to you guys about your games, um, which uh, which are their own thing as well. I think Primordia and um, Strangeland, while it might have, you know, bits and pieces from different things, but like you're saying, Mark, especially Strangeland, I think, comes from so many different things, which we'll get on to. But before we talk about uh, the games... I'm curious because, Mark, you're in California and, James, you're in Greece. And I'm not sure where, I think the third person, is it Victor? Yes, yeah. correct. Where, where, where is Victor based? He's in Australia. Australia. Oh, wow. Australia. So how did you guys meet and start a studio then from all around the world? So uh, 
we were all users of the Adventure Game Studios forum and the Adventure Game Studios platform. And it's a, a really great community where people would always help each other on game projects. Um, Victor had been working for a while on an adventure game called Homunculi. And then decided he wanted to start something new from scratch and put up a post that said, I'm looking for a writer to help me make a, an adventure game. I thought, that's great. This is something I've wanted to do my whole life. Uh, or yeah, by 20 years, how long it had been. Uh, I'll shoot him an email. So he, you know, I think he had started on it for a day or two, got my email, said, great. Well, love to have you, you know, work with you and let's make a game together. Um, and so we started bouncing ideas back and forth. It was, a, as with every Wormwood Studios game, you know, we thought we could make this in a couple of months. Uh, it quickly turned into several years. But <laughs> as the scope kept expanding, it was quickly clear that, you know, there had to be someone who was really good at programming in the adventure game studio environment to make actually make the game. Because... Uh, you can have all the great art and writing and design in the world, but ultimately those are just Lego bricks. Someone actually has to put them together. Um, and, you know, the more for really simple stuff, uh, it wasn't that bad, but as more complicated puzzles became, you know, I kept wanting to have more complicated puzzle stuff. Uh, and Vic was sort of like, I, you know, I'm doing the art. I, we need a coder. And so Vic, found James also on the AGS studios and James joined, I think about two months into the project. Uh, and then we were off to the races. So at that time there was no Wormwood studios. If you look at like the, the old primordial website, it would just say a list of our names and other folks who came in and out of the project over the years. Um, and then about like, I don't know, a year and a half into all of us working together, we started talking about how it would be good to have a name to put on the game we were making together so that the next game, we would have this brand name that captured all of our contributions to the game. And so uh, I suggested, we'd bounced names back and forth. I said- All horrible, by the way. What about, yeah. So among the horrible names, I love- um, flatworms. I've always been fascinated <laughs> with them because my mom had done exper flatworm experience experiments when she was younger. And so there was like, they always seem magical to me. So I said, what about planarian games? And the theory was sort of, you know, that, I don't know, it was chopping up old, you know, flatworms could absorb, they thought flatworms could absorb memories of other flatworms by eating each other. And so there was this idea that our games were sort of our own consumption of classic games is what gave us the the background to make Primordia and other games. Victor says that's a crazy name, but you know if we're going to do something with worms, what about Wormwood games? I said I don't know Wormwood games. What about Wormwood Studios? James says Wormwood Studios sounds great. And so that's how we got the name Wormwood Studios. That was but my input to the whole story. <laughs> but there's no, there's no studio studio, right? It's like I'm working in my living room. Vic is working in his living room. James is working in his living room. Like there isn't a physical studio. Um, 
or even you know a corporation or anything like that it was just three partners making a game together cool and have you guys uh, ever met in real life anywhere <laughs> or has it just oh, been online no, no, no we, we we haven't actually none of us have met any other uh oh that's a shame so at none of the gaming conferences or anything uh you haven't been able to meet up no, no, we never got to meet up. I think it would be an explosion if we did. <laughs> well, I mean, the traveling is expensive as part yeah. of it. And like, but it, what's weird is that we're also, our time zones are so messed up. They're so different, that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That, like <laughs> we almost never even did like phone calls. Like it was just, we'd do Google chat or Gmails. So, I mean, I probably have 30,000 emails and, you know, a hundred thousand messages that we've shared over the years, but I, you know, it's probably been 20, you know, initially Skype and then a couple of zoom calls. If that, I don't even know if it's 20, it might be 10 over, you know, 12 or 13 years of, of collaborating. Wow. Well, the, the joys of, uh, uh, the, the modern miracle of the of the internet that you guys are in different countries, all different continents, different time zones, and yet you're able to form a suit and release two really good games despite the fact you've never met each other. Yeah, uh, I think that's that's great. <laughs> uh, I mean, what's it? It'd be great if you guys could meet. Uh, but I think it can give inspiration to other people. That's like, oh well, look if if you can do it, then so can we. It doesn't matter you know, where we're from or who we are, we can still put out, you know, really good good games out. Um, and, and the international aspect of it, I have to say, I, I, I quite like. So I, I just think adventure games, for whatever reason, I mean, every genre of games right now has a huge following all over the world. But there has always been something about adventure games in particular that seem to have this way of bringing people together from all over the world. I mean, this podcast is an example of that, yeah. right? It says, um, and I don't, I don't know what it is, particularly because the American-made adventures often expected a level of English fluency that is like an outrageous imposition on non-English speakers, right? So, you know, Monkey Ranch and Monkey Island mm. makes literally, it's a bad puzzle for an English speaker. It is a nonsensical puzzle if English isn't your first language. Kyrandia 2 has all the spells require punning off of the ingredient names. So like mm. there's one ingredient is W-I-N-D-W-O-O-F, which, you know, reads is windy woof, but it's actually windy woof and you have to realize that's a reference to gnarly bark which is an item you get and it's like you couldn't imagine something that on its face should be more repugnant to an international audience than that kind of design mm -hmm. and yet you know if you look at the translations that primordia and strangeland have gotten like it's just you know the the sort of print magazines the first magazine to do a, a print article on primordia was a turkish magazine uh you know czech polish magazines a russian magazine german magazine a greek magazine yeah right it's just like it and so the, 
the fact that our team is spread across three continents and really the whole world, I don't know, that always, that meant a lot to me. And, you know, like the theme for me, the overarching theme in all the games I want to make is humanism. And this, this is the humanism of adventure games is that there, for whatever reason, is something about them that speaks to people across time and space and culture uh, and brings people together. Stupid inventory puzzles and pixel hunting. <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> it's 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 it is crazy that, like you said, this podcast now, which has people from you know from Ireland, UK, uh, Thomas from Netherlands, Jared from um, uh, the United States as well, from all around kind of the world, and then your student and yeah, and game people from all around the world were trying to figure out that monkey wrench puzzle. <laughs> um, and uh, your games, it's great that Primordia was featured in so many magazines kind of around the world. So uh, so you guys started making Primordia then. You got together and, you know, James uh, came came in. Um, I suppose for people who haven't played it, first of all, um, what, what can you tell us about, uh, about the game, about the world? Because it's a very interesting world and world building in Primordia. So I don't know which one of you guys would like to, to get started on talking about the world of Primordia and, and who we are in it. Well, I could start and I'll yeah, stop sure. once Mark starts interrupting me, which you will very soon. <laughs> but for me, Primordia was a, was a very interesting project. It looked a lot, it felt a lot like Beneath the Steel Sky, and initially at least. And I I think the the overarching theme of of uh, of Primordia is is you know the fact that um, you know. Uh, humanity is is long gone and uh there are two robots in the middle of nowhere trying to to survive essentially and you know one of them horatio uh likes you know believes in the myth of of mankind and crispin um probably the best character by far um uh you know is essentially what keeps him sane i think there's a good analogy with the red dwarf not sure if you've seen that one what it's like because in red dwarf first episode it's like the thing that happens is you have the the nihilistic one and then you have the the one that drives him more crazy but essentially keeps him sane i think that kind of analogy works a lot for for uh, for Primordia in a sense, but I think what really captivates people with Primordia uh, overall is the fact that uh, there's all these allusions to things you know that came before and to things that happened prior to the the events in the game. I think that's what captivates people more. And of course, the brown palette. (laughs) Mm. (laughs) All shades of brown. (laughs) But I think it's like a lot of environmental storytelling, more than people give it credit for, than it is uh, progressing through through the standard means of of storytelling. I think think that's what I like, at least about... That's what I love about Primordia. the, The fact that, you know, a small interaction... Um, creates a story in your head that you might or might not see in the game. But uh, go ahead, Mark. Yeah, so I, I totally agree with that. I, I always sort of described it as like the ragged edges of a map that we wanted to leave 
as much open for the player to be able to imagine uh, rather than, you know, a world that was totally closed and every aspect of it was already described. So we, you know, tried to have all these allusions to things in the past. Uh, you know, you there's like a, you know, metro map in the city that shows 20 different stops of which you only ever go to one and the sense of of more space and more things to do. Um, in terms of the world, I think, you know, it is this post-organic world. And, uh, you know, I, both Vic and I and James too, you know, we brought into this story and this setting and this game all of our experiences and put that into it. For me, the things that were like the two biggest factors one is completely low and ridiculous, and the other is sort of high and sentimental. So the low and ridiculous one is that as a kid, uh, I was not allowed to have Transformer toys because they were too expensive. So we instead watched this show called The GoBots and and played with GoBots toys. GoBots was like this completely terrible, low-budget robot TV show. But the one multi-episode arc in the whole series the robots have always heard that they were built by someone called the last engineer. They don't know who the last engineer is. They just know there was such a person. And finally, they encounter this human being who tells them he was the last engineer. And that's the first human who appears in the, the show. And they, of course, believe him because they, you know, the, he's this, you know, like, this godlike figure. It turns out he was actually an evil human. I think he was called the Renegade. They didn't meet the real last engineer. But the, so from a young age, this idea of like, what, what would robots actually think about the people who made them if the people who made them weren't there? What would their relationship be with, with those people? Uh, you know, the naivete of that. And then the the sort of higher, more noble one is, I've talked about this a lot. Uh, my great aunt, uh, Virginia was Hardman, was a poet, a fairly, I mean, as, I don't know, successful is a weird word to apply to a poet, but she published some books of poetry um, and her sort of most successful work of poetry is a poem called The Inheritors, which is about, you know, after the extinct, uh, more or less extinction of humanity, another species you know comes to inherit the earth and it's what do they think of humanity from what we've left behind um and the opening stanza of the poem i'm probably going to get some line of it wrong is i sing of the race that came to be after man's brief tyranny over all beasts ceased and we became a theory in another species prehistory endowed as theories often are with false glories and iniquities and that uh that framing right the idea that we would be both over glorified and undercredited, like those two things merged with primordia that this would be about robots and their relationship as inheritors of the earth uh to this mythological human figure like the last engineer and GoBots. And that was like, that was for me, the driving theme. Everything was going to push towards that. Every character in some way pushes against that. 
uh, either their rejection of humanity, uh, their obsession with humanity, their loneliness in the absence of humanity, um, because you know these are all machines that were made for a specific function, but the function no longer makes any sense. And so they are, you know, in some ways, the way humans are today, right? We evolved for a particular world, and then we made that world no longer exist. The world we live in today is not the world we evolved in, and it's, you know, this creates all kinds of weirdness in humans, and so we wanted some of that weirdness, too, in the robots. Um, so I think it's it's really, it's a game about people, but it's a game about people as shown by the imprint we left on the machines that came after us. Yeah, and I to say that's a fantastic answer. <laughs> I don't that think I can... About to. Uh, I'm not sure how I can add anything to that. That's a fantastic description. Which I don't think there's any spoilers in that either. I think if anyone hasn't played Primordia yet, they'll probably want to after that. Um, but yeah, no. What you you, you mentioned made some, uh, several interesting points about how it's it is about people, and yet it's about robots after the extinction of people. But I mean, from from my end. As I mentioned, I played Primordia before I started the podcast. Since mm -hmm. I started the podcast, I have played close to 100 adventure games, more or less. And still, mm -hmm. I still remember Primordia. Now, I'm sure I'm just looking at the screenshots now and I'm thinking, wow, I don't remember that. So I'll have to go back and replay it. <laughs> but I, it is it has still stuck in my mind, uh, Primordia. So I think that says about the, you know, the quality of it. Now, one thing that I'm just, I'm just going through the website, one thing that is interesting me is how honest you guys were because it has received overwhelmingly positive reviews on steam rightly mm -hmm. so but you guys mentioned and i i hope you guys are aware of it primordiagame.com that you guys say that uh it didn't get as good reviews uh yeah. from uh from professional now you mentioned that the meta score is 72 which is still not bad it's not you know it's certainly still re recommended Mm -hmm. um but why do you think that 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 was you know from the uh professional well i don't want to say professional but you know from gaming sites or magazines or whatever that didn't maybe quite like it as much as or didn't hit home to them as much as players in general yeah i think if you look at like any indie game that has been a massive hit a good example is one shot a good example is undertale uh mm. games that have made like a lot of copies like millions of copies i think undertale has like 20 and i think one shot definitely has five all these games have like abysmal not abysmal but like let's say standard uh ratings on all the big sites like uh one shot lands at i think 75 or 72 or 77 something along these lines um so does uh initially did undertale um I think the main reason is that there's a lot of games and mm. it's difficult for, for a journalism that has like 20, 30 games to give up, you know, um, enough time and actually yes. judge a game. And, and that's okay. But, you know, is that a bad journalism move? Yes. Do I understand why that happens? Also, yes. Like, but, but you know, to me and not because Primordia became a, a cult hit because of the player base but like in general as as a creator of of sorts uh and as part of, of both of our games like 
And we had a discussion about this with Mark at some point, but uh, I don't really particularly care. Like, I mean, I would love to see a hundred on, on PC Gamer, but if that means that, you know, uh, that instead we would have not the reviews that we've gotten and not the nice comments that we've gotten, then I, I like I wouldn't trade them for a hundred review. Like I don't have a, an ego that requires to be fed uh, in, in that way. And I think it's much more important to know that, you know, even if a game is a commercial failure or not didn't go as well as you planned it, the fact that, you know, one person thinks of it, the world is more important to me. It, 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 is, it is more fulfilling to me than, than, you know, like somebody saying that this is a great game, go play it. And then the players get disappointed instead and, and don't feel that way. Because, you know, like the initial review of, Primordia, I believe on PC Gamer, says something along the lines of uh, Primordia is not the best of Wajedi games, our publisher, and it will mm. be forgotten within a weekend. And that, that, well, well, that hasn't that happened. That must have been the longest <laughs> nine-year-old weekend um, ever. You know, like, again, I think people judge things based on what they perceive to be and what they perceive to exist. Like IGN had a horrible review of Castlevania Symphony of the Night, a game that has an entire genre named partly after it. The other one is Metroid, Metroidvanias. And it said, you know, for Castlevania, it said that, you know, the game will be forgotten. And in an era where everybody goes 3D, Castlevania stays on two, on two dimensions for no reason. And it's going to be an archaic thing and it, nobody will care about Castlevania. History kind of proved it very wrong. <laughs> and they had to review the game, I think, back in 2007 or something because it didn't reflect the views anymore. So I think that's a bigger win for the game. I think mm, if oh, the absolutely. game is good it will not stop at anything like primordia could have had like a more abysmal reviews than it did less flattering reviews than it did and it would have been equally loved by by people because of how like the the substance is there that's how yeah. i feel about uh, yeah I, I mean i would i agree with everything james just said and i would amplify i mean not you would be have to be a I don't know. A crazy person is not the right word, but something the the single best part of game development to me is the relationship you make with the player. And for both Primordia and Strangeland, I you know, we have gotten I have gotten many emails, direct messages, you know, forum posts about the difference the game made for people in their lives when they were going through the hardest parts of their lives and were feeling hopeless, the game gave them hope. When they were dealing with grief that they hadn't been able to process for years, the game helped them process grief. Those to me, like James says, if I could trade one of those emails for 500 point reviews, I wouldn't make that trade because ultimately the whole point of it is to make that connection with your players. I also agree that reviewers, particularly uh, reviewers just have a different relationship to a game than players do, because I think where Primordia and Strangeland are best 
is when you're just taking your time and mm. messing around. You know, you're you're experimenting with what happens if I use Crispin on this. What happens if I, you know, go back and talk to this person after I did that thing? Uh, what if I want to combine in Strangeland the rat skin and the bird head? <laughs> like, what's going to happen? And and we spent, you know, James and I spent thousands of hours, right, getting all of those interactions, you know, you know, or you know, we would do all these things that were meant to be uh, the way in which you get comfortable and the game feels like your neighborhood and your home. Uh, but when you're a reviewer, like you need to get to the end of the game and write a, a score at the bottom of it. And so you don't spend time exploring in that way. The things that will jump out at you are like, I got stuck at a puzzle and I got frustrated because my paycheck depends on getting into this game and I'm stuck. Uh, I couldn't find an item. And rather than viewing this as an invitation to sort of pour over one of Vic's amazing backgrounds, the reaction is, it's a pixel hunt. I need to get into the game. This sucks, right? And so the the result is that things that I actually think enrich the game, uh, a lot of reviewers don't really engage with. Um, and the result is for commercial reviewers, it's just not going to get... It's good review. I, I also just think, honestly, um, there's like a premium on being snarky as a commercial reviewer mm. and putting things down. And like, if you can't, you know, if you have a quota of 10 mean things you have to say that week and nine of the games you're reviewing are from companies that buy advertising on your website and the 10th isn't <laughs> then uh then that's the one where you dump all the vitriol on it and so you know i i'm not gonna lie some of the negative reviews did upset me um because they just seemed needlessly malicious and i've always wondered whether there was something in the game that elicited that reaction from people or whether it was just you know sort of indifferent to the actual game it was just something that they felt would be performative and valuable for them to do professionally but it sucked i mean it it still rankles me but as between like james says game spy can say we'll be forgotten in a week we have three thousand reviews and you know fans still sending us gifts in the mail that say otherwise so uh and the game spent uh um 250 days on sorry, nine years on top 250 highest rated games on Steam. So, Yeah, no, at one point it was <laughs> the 17th highest rated game on Steam. There was like a six month period where we were in the top 20, which is wow. unbelievable to me. Yeah, we were, it was when we were at 98% uh, and yeah. then eventually we dropped to 97. And yeah, which, which is fine. But, uh, you know, like that that happens too. That That's okay, you know, but like, um, another thing to what we're saying is like, I find very fascinating is that, you know, when PC Gamer wrote the article and said that, you know, Primordia is not anything special, you know, that, that was their opinion. And of course, that is, that is any opinion is valid, like, uh, to some degree, but they, they, it's a funny thing because they had comments and the comments were like piling up, like a lot of comments. It was like 30, 40 comments. And then they deleted 
most of them and then they lock the thread and oh. they only left the two top comments that say something like look what they did to my boy or like something along the lines of uh, did you guys even play the game like you know so <laughs> again like to me that doesn't matter to me like going to, to i always frequent uh, frequent or i don't know what's the pronunciation um streams of people playing the games and it's really great to see them react crying most of the times for our games i don't know what horrible games we make <laughs> but but it's nice to see because it, they make me cry like there are parts in primordial that make me cry and there are parts in strange that definitely make me cry and talking about them makes me cry um and it's nice to see that and there's nothing that they, again i don't i will that will never be replaced by any review because you know it's nice to have the reviews and that's nice but there are games that you know are worth a lot to people like um for instance since we're talking about budget i unabout is a phenomenal game and even if and it got really great reviews on pc gamer and but even if it didn't it would have been still the same kind of love to it right if if not more because people would be like how come you guys don't like this and about is a phenomenal it's, it's a great game you know like how come you guys don't like it um so uh, to me the, the the people are what make the reviews like you could have the most horrible reviews they're gonna be a problem because accessibility will be a thing but if the game has substance if the game has value if the game is trying to tell something that resonates with people it will rise up regardless of of a negative review i think people give too much uh credit to the reviews as as that important it, it'd be nice to get a good one <laughs> but but we're good now well, well you have had some good reviews as well i mean you did say here for Primordia, quotes as well, particularly from uh, independent and foreign reviewers, said uh, one of the deepest sci-fi stories that's been told in years, whether in film or in, in a game, and several others like that. And basically, you know, a review is basically one person's opinion. And as you mentioned, I mean, you mentioned everyone has a right to their own opinion, but for at least for our podcast, even when we're critical, uh, we're never snarky, first of all. We never want to put a developer down or, uh, you know, insult no, a developer or, you know, make fun of it. Because every single game, no matter how good or bad it is, there's been countless hours of sacrifice and love being poured into it, whatever yeah. the, the results. So we always try and acknowledge that when of we course. review. So, yeah, so I, <laughs> I do see definitely where you're coming from still with a lot of mainstream gaming sites. But I think it's important to say that at least with the, People, you know, with people who've played it and with independent um, media covers, um, as well. Mm -hmm. And as I said, uh, people who like it really like it. And maybe as well, if people, if the, these media didn't like it, probably say, well, we're doing something right. If people aren't going, nah, you know, nobody cares about this game. And, but it's because that's clearly not the case um, from what I can see. Yeah, of um, course. And and I mean, when but, I was uh, listening to, to your podcast and, uh, the verdict for for Strangeland was coming up. I was, and and I mean that like I was a hundred percent okay with the verdict being like I didn't like it because I knew from the beginning the description. You know, like I was playing this and this is how I spent my time. Like it was obvious that the person playing it was actually playing it. Whether the the experience landed <laughs> could have been multiple reasons. You know, like 
I, I'd like to to believe that, you know, it's going to land the same way at anybody, but that's not always going to be the case. Um, and that's okay. But like, you know, spending the time, I think is the important part, whether the game you like it or not, it, you know, giving it a fair chance. It's like, Exactly, you know, when somebody yes. watches something and they're really into it and you stand by, you know, the couch or whatever they're sitting and you go, what is this, you know, uh, crap that you're seeing? Because you're not invested in it. So it's like you're judging it instantly without ever spending the time. And of course, seeing like one scene when you haven't seen the whole series or a whole movie could be dumb. But for the person that has actually been watching it, they're invested in it. They, they've spent mm. the time. They've seen the arcs. They've seen the the good parts, the bad parts. But I think that's that's what's kind of the problem here that people are not investing into into these games, and they're focusing on on whatever they find first to be like, okay, this is it. Like the game has too many technical issues. I can't play it. In such way, I would rather not put up a review and be like I can't review it like there's a there's an issue you know or for mm. example if there is a problem with the story you're not understanding you could be like you know this is not my type of game I don't really understand it. it's not for me I will end up giving it a horrible review and a not proper one but you know journalism as, as a medium at least I like to think and we can we can stop the discussion because it's going to take us forever to, uh, <laughs> to into that but like I think it's a, it's a medium that's meant to inform people. How can you inform something when you're not playing it? Which is what mm. IGN essentially admitted that they're doing. Yeah, pretty much. I said, if, if the game isn't popular already, then we're not going to play it, which I was like, really? Now, I'm sure that's not the case for all the writers at IGN, but... Yeah. I was just shocked that they uploaded that video. Yeah, that was, I don't know, that was a bad move. But, you know, but, we've, we've had negative reviews of Strangeland and we're disappointed that the game didn't land. Mm. And, and Primordia too, that didn't land for them. And But it's obvious when those are negative just to be negative and mm. they haven't given the game a chance and when they're negative because ultimately they were disappointed by what we had to offer. Yeah, no, that and I prefer that is, the second. Yeah, no, I think that's that's fair. Uh, I mean, speaking of Strangeland, that was your second game that you released. I believe it was twenty twenty one, and right. uh, it's uh, yeah, no, it was definitely a, a fascinating game. That there was so much in it. Um, so I suppose who who wants to kind of try? Because I I don't think I could try. You know, even uh, successfully explain the game. Um, Mark, do you want to try and set this game up again for anyone who hasn't played the game? Sure. Um, <laughs> so, so I think both our games are post-apocalyptic. Of mm. course, Primordia, the apocalypse <laughs> happens to the world and all living things have been wiped out. And it's about how do you continue existing after that happens? What does it mean for there to be a soul in a world that has no life? Uh, Strangeland is also post-apocalyptic, but it's a, a personal apocalypse. So the the protagonist uh, has lost the woman he loves uh, that you find out in the very first moments. Uh, and as, as a consequence, a sort of despair that he's been struggling with forever has overtaken him. And he's trapped in his own grief uh, and is essentially 
has become totally inward looking. And the game takes place kind of like psychonauts, right, within the confines of his own mind, where all of his experiences, uh, his self-loathing, his self-doubt, his arrogance, take the forms of characters and obstacles and puzzles and adversaries within uh, the carnival of his own mind. And the the arc of the game uh, is trying to figure out whether uh, he can solve his own puzzle, as it were, and find a way out of this trap of despair that he's in. And in doing that, he has to encounter himself uh, in basically funhouse mirrors. So the, these horrific reflections of aspects of himself uh, and deal with them in various ways. Um, if, you know, visually, I think um, Primordia, Vic, really began from wanting to explore the visual you know, style of Beneath the Steel Sky. Uh, and I think here he was very much wanting to explore the visual style of Sanitarium. Sanitarium is a 3D game or 3D rendered game. Primordia is a pixel art game. But the same sort of carnival imagery that is in one of the chapters of, of uh, Sanitarium is very present in Strangely. Mm. Um, but, you know, it it is, uh, you know, everything that the three of us create or have created may at least the things we have created that are our own games so primordia you know we had complete creative control strangeland we had complete creative control these aren't projects where we were hired by you know a studio to to write a story for them or to design a game for them or to do a user interface or an illustration or to code some subsystem these were our games and so I would say, in a sense, they are autobiographical games, that they are the sum total of our experiences put into those games. And that's very true for me. Um, you know, I, I said the sort of starting points of Primordia were the GoBots cartoon and my aunt's poem. Uh, for Strangeland, the way that got started was my both my grandparents had died. Um, more or less at the same time, just a few days apart. My grandmother had had dementia and my grandfather, who was the one who first taught me how to program games, um, had and been basic? for her. For, and, yeah, and, well, it was just basic, not QBasic. Okay. But yeah, in, in basic <laughs> on an Apple IIc. Uh, uh, he had been taking care of her and he was a NASA engineer and had basically tried to find an engineering solution to dementia, which is not possible. It's a it's, it's like a puzzle that doesn't have a solution. And when she finally passed away, he died just a few days later. And it, it was just clear that this had, life had been a burden he was carrying to care for her. Uh, and when they died, uh, I was responsible for going to their apartment and going through their stuff and making sure things got to the people they should get to um, and stuff that people didn't want would be donated and so on. And, and, you know, as people, as their life, as you get older for a lot of people, life shrinks, right? You move from a house and then an apartment into an assisted living facility. 
you go from being able to run 10 miles to not being able to walk down a flight of stairs. And as it shrinks, it distills. And so the, their apartment was arranged with this engineer's logic of these most valuable things um, meant to conjure their lives, right? The whole idea of how he had laid it out was if she would see photos of her family, maybe she would remember her family. If she could see the books that she had used for her dissertation, maybe she would remember that. And so uh, this apartment was like a castle of a, memories. A castle of memories. So there is a mnemonic technique where people to re, you know, remember details construct in their mind a, a, a memory castle or memory house where you put different memories in different places. This was a physical memory house and his stuff too. Um, and I remember like his computer, he had two things taped his monitor. One was like a Carl Sagan quote about the mysteries of the universe. And on the other side of the monitor was the telegram he had gotten when he was called up to serve in the uh, Korean War, because he had been um, he had been in Air uh, Air Force ROTC, I guess Army Air Force ROTC at the time, which is how he had gotten his engineering degree. And like you, as I went through this space, I had this idea. First of all, I, it was very hard for me to process the grief of losing them both at the same time. Um, and, but it, so there was like this feeling I had to get out of me. And also I had this idea of like, what if you made a game and of course, Psychonauts, I love Psychonauts and they had gotten there first. So this is not my original idea, but is there a way to capture in an adventure game, this sense that everything around you is, is a key to a memory, a symbol of an experience of a relationship of a feeling and you know how do you put that all together and so so that was sort of one strand of it and the other strand of it is um you know i think like lots of people life has its ups, ups and downs like uh, i talked about in the commentary tracks like mm -hmm. a lot of the sense of despair in the game that's personal i know and it, it's not it, it mine is personal to me i know phoenix <laughs> also personal to him i suspect james is also like it's human nature to go through these dark patches and for me the light that really you know there were various lights that led me through that but the one that particularly turned my life around was meeting my wife when we were 18. Oh, i thought it was and, gonna be me okay yeah. and so <laughs> so i was just thinking because you know there my grandparents death in a sense is very romantic right doing the you die of a broken heart or whatever but in a sense, it was also just like there was no life. My grandfather clearly just thought there was nothing left to live for, for having lost yeah. his wife. And so, you know, I was just thinking, what would it have been like to be him, knowing the light that my wife was for me, to have lost that light? Uh, and how would you find your way out of the darkness you were in? And so that's really, you know, those are the feelings that went into the game for me. I know Vic put his feelings in and James put his feelings in. Um, but it, you know, it's a much more intimate game. Primordia is a game that's set in a expansive wasteland. The horizons stretch as far as they could possibly stretch. Uh, and 
you know, Strangeland is a claustrophobic game. There's just a very little space you can move through um, and everything is layered on top of each other, packed into each other. Um, and that was really from this experience of going into the, their apartment and, and seeing that space there. Mm -hmm. Well, the, we, we should go into spoiler territory because... <laughs> well yeah so we we can we can so uh just to let people know listening if you haven't played strange land well first of all i would recommend you, you played uh strange land and then i'd recommend to play it again with the commentary and the annotation mode because uh we hear well mark and james and victor mm -hmm. go into more detail mm -hmm. like what mark just did which is uh you know very very sad but very poetic as well as mark was saying uh so take uh we're going to talk spoilers of strange right now so if you haven't played it and i will put in the show notes um the times we are in spoilers just in case but okay so spoiler warning there so james over to you <laughs> okay i'm gonna spoil all of it spoil the uh, hell out of this game <laughs> so there is something really um uh, that resonates with me uh, when we made the first version of 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 the of the of the plot entirely, um, that was when when for me it became very personal. Even though it wasn't my my story in a sense, it became very personal because to me I felt very dumbfounded that that somebody like Mark, um, who I consider, I mean. It, not me personally, but like Mark, Mark is a lawyer. He's a Harvard graduate. Uh, he's somebody that's very successful in his in his business life, but also personally, you know, in his personal life, he's he's a married man. He has a wife that loves him, I believe, and he has two wonderful daughters, Eleanor and Alice. And for me, for somebody that I consider to be successfully in the society societal norms, I guess to to feel this dread and this this despair and this like um oh it's getting difficult <laughs> this like kind of dark voice that is presented in the game through through the words of superego who is the, 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 the antagonist in the game uh is is something that shows clearly that depression is not a depression and you know personal demons have nothing to do with how how you are as a person it has anything to do but but that it is it is something that has broken inside you and there's no there's nothing that you can see to fix it but what i like about what i love about strangeland and this is where i put my uh all my efforts to is is realizing that the message of strangeland being that you know uh when when you lose somebody that you love or has loved you especially if they have loved you they don't go away is is a great very very humane message very humbling message uh for people because you know that person doesn't go away you create of course the dark side which you know tells you you're nothing you're a failure you're a coward you're an idiot you could have done things better but you're just you know a nobody but you also create uh the memories of people that have given you love people that touch your life in a very positive manner and um and that I think is 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 the greatness of Strangeland. For me, Strangeland lands uh, into a regard of like more humane and more more humbling message in, in that aspect. But uh, 
that's what resonated with me. And that's when I realized that any mistake that we've done in the process of the game will be breaking that immersion. And I got into this very, very nitpicky way of like making sure that every frame in the game is more distilled, is like as perfect as humanly possible. And, and sorry, and I wrote like, I composed two songs, the song that plays during the firefly scene and the song that plays at the ending. And, and essentially like I went into this thing where it wasn't required by anybody, like nobody forced me to do this, but I wanted to make sure that everything is as perfect as possible. I mean, that doesn't mean that nobody else did anything that to, to progress that. Of course, everybody did that, but for me, it was like a bet where I was like, we got to do this justice because ever since I was a, a child, you know, I, I love movies that make me cry. I love movies that have a good message. And I wanted to achieve that through Strangeland to be like, you know, be able to say, you know, on my deathbed that I made a game that it was so horrible <laughs> that people cried because of it. But it's an uplifting message, I believe, strange. Like there's, there's, there's no stream I've seen that doesn't make me cry the moment the Firefly scene happens because it, it, I feel that moment. And um, another thing, since we're talking about that, is, is in Primordium, like, uh, you know, uh, having read all the horrible uh, sorts not not having read but like at the time when we were having testers everybody was like oh crispin is so annoying and all crispin does is talk and he's useless and he doesn't nothing you know to the thing uh for me crispin is very much like myself because i like to as a defense mechanism ever since i was a small child i i was like the clown of the of the you know of the company <laughs> like i would make jokes I would make fun of myself. I would constantly make sure that any serious discussion is derailed, which is essentially what Crispin does. Um, but Crispin resonates with me very much because in the same way that, you know, he does what he does because that's his nature, but uh, he cares for his friend. And, you know, when, uh, when Horatio is about to be uh, extinguished from this, from, from the world of Primordia, when Metromine talks to him, and starts, uh, you know, removing his cycles and essentially killing him. Um, Crispin, who has been nothing but useless the whole game, uh, acts upon it and has only one action, and that's self-sacrifice. And I remember, uh, it's difficult to talk because it's always bringing tears in my eye, but I remember because Mark said uh, to me, I, I refused to know the, the ending of Primordia before we put it in the game, so... As we were making it, I only knew what was in the game, nothing prior. So Mark sends me a, an email and he goes, well, today we have something difficult to do. Today we kill a friend. Whew. Okay, I'm good. Um, <laughs> I have never coded in my life with tears in my eyes. That's the only time I think I cried for like six, seven hours that I was uh, coding his sequence. And that's because it resonates with me because, you know, Crispin is essentially, I see parts of Crispin, if not all of it in myself. And I think it's a, it's a very great character. And I've seen a lot of streams where people cry and, you know, like to what we said before, 
to me that is more important than than a hundred review. That will always be more important to me than a hundred review on PC Gamer. Yeah, I think with both games, um, I, I draw this distinction between melancholy and depression, right, or depressing. That I think both games are melancholy, um, and in fact, it's sort of if you reflect on how Primordia ends, it's pretty clear, like the world is not can't be saved, right? They the robots seem incapable of finding more power sources they're just recycling the old ones and everything is continuing to break down the last city on the planet is you know headed in the wrong direction yeah you guys the good guys have a airship and a few friends but it's not like they can restart civilization um you know the power core alone wasn't even enough for metropole so in that sense it's very melancholy Likewise with Strangeland, right? There is not, you cannot bring a dead person back to life. Um, there's no eliminating the grief and the loss. But to me, the distinction between melancholy content and depressing content is that melancholy content still leaves room for dignity in the face of the that tragedy. And depressing content basically says, if you attempt to be dignified, you will just be humiliated, right? So uh, like this, is to, it's the difference between, you know, getting to your feet before the villain shoots you or dying, groveling and begging and kissing the villain's boots. Both of them, you get killed, the villain wins. But in one of those two scenarios, there is a reaffirmation of the idea that there is something in life that is beyond just living, which is approaching, you know, the world with the right way, with a dignified way, with a caring way, with a sympathetic way. And so that's, I mean, to me, that's like the moment that James is talking about with Crispin is, yeah, he fundamentally, he has this quality in him that he may treat stuff as a joke uh and have gallows humor but at the end of the line uh he he goes out with the sort of uh, the right way the bang. Uh, yeah and um and that's something you know uh i think is un unfortunately particularly people who have not gone through grief have not sort of been at the the edge of complete despair, think that it is somehow more realistic or more defiant to be cynical about these things. Um, so like, you know, every so often there'll be a review of Strangeland that will say, everything about the game was great and true, except for the ending people don't actually feel that way. Uh, and uh, it's like, well, I feel that way. <laughs> like, and in fact, people who have gone through grief, uh, it, it does connect with them. Uh, people who have gone, you know, who have experienced a, a deep relationship of love, you know, these things are, it, it's not 
I don't know. To me, the childishness is thinking that the cynical path is the best path. Like, I just think in general, people, um, one of the ways in which we end up actually in a state of genuine depression uh, and isolation, as opposed to just melancholy, is closing yourself off to other people, um, not building those relationships and those connections, not being able to see the good and the hope, because good and hope and love and uh, trust all seem like naive emotions. And the sophisticated emotion is cynicism, distrust, um, materialism. And I just, I, that is not, I don't know, the older I get, the more strongly I feel that is actually a, a immature way of looking at things. It's the way of someone who is, you know, I don't know, burned his hand once and and has an overreaction to it as opposed to someone who's really gone through suffering. So I don't know, that's, uh, this is, uh, I don't even know what question this is responsive to <laughs> other, but I do think that's, and same with Fallen Gods, the game that we're working on now, all of these are really just sort of about like not giving up, mm. you know, that, that, that is, that is the essence of the thing is like, as hard as it is to take that next step forward, it would be better, even if you die, to have taken that extra step forward. Even if you were going to die anyway, it would be better to say you died walking forward rather than standing still. And, you know, that, you know, that, and that's all three of those games. And I do, I do think there are people who really benefit from hearing that message. I benefited yeah. from hearing that message <laughs> from people throughout my life. And so putting that back into the world is really important to us. Yeah, no, up, up, absolutely. I mean, again, I don't know how I can reply <laughs> possibly add to this from from both of you. I think, um, but yeah, I think to you know, one thing to take away from from these games is, as as you said, Mark, that people you know are they're either robots or the strange land. It's uh, the main character that just doesn't give up. That after everything that is being thrown at them, they still keep going um and and yeah and i think whatever you know the two games i think what people really can't deny is primordia and strange is they're both very personal games and we heard from the two of you just how personal they are we see from some of the comments some of the reactions that i read on you know on steam and gog and online from people about both those games is the reaction that they get and as you said mark that I think it's kind of arrogant for one person to say, well, people don't react like this. It's like, maybe that's not how you reacted, but there are people who react differently. Um, and we, we, can, we can see that clearly. Whatever one person may think about the games, it's undeniable that people have had a very strong reaction uh, to both these right. games. Um, and sorry, you want to say something, James? Oh, I, I I wanted to say that uh, whenever I read a review of Primordia, I, and we reply to all of them, and all of them have have validity. Like I'm not absolutely. Asking, no, I'm not just you know dissing anyone. You know, if you had so a not, bad time, you had a bad time. Exactly. Right? You know, if people if it didn't work for people, I think uh, that's fair enough. But I think people shouldn't say how other people will feel because we don't know. <laughs> yeah, all I can say is how you feel. You know, I don't like death metal, but I'm not going to go to a death metal band's uh, review site and say this is not music because, you know, it's, it's, uh, this happened to me with music, but like, 
I found like this horrible band that everybody hated. And I was like, this is the best band of all time. How can you deny that from me? I didn't, I wouldn't want that to be denied for me. And I wouldn't want to deny that from others. You know, there are people that like horrible games that other people think that they're, you know, uh, garbage or like not good enough, but that's the greatness about, uh, you know, creative mediums, games included in general, you can find solace and you can find happiness and you can find something that resonates with you on on the worst of the worst and on the and on the best of the best you might not be able to find that um you know denying that from others is is a mistake of course but again understanding that not everybody's gonna like it is also fine like there are people that get really upset about some clankiness in primordian people that find the the imagery of strange land a bit tiring at times but I think that, that that's okay and that is a valid opinion and everybody is entitled to have their own opinion. And I feel disappointed when, you know, what I feel about the game is not something that somebody else can feel about the game. And and I feel like, you know, they wasted their time playing the game and I want them to to feel listened and heard and and know that we take their opinions valid, but ultimately this is what Mark has said a million times. It's like, we make the games that we we want to make. And I will say this regarding Primordia, that I stop reading any reviews when they start <laughs> saying, Crispin is, 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 is just <laughs> annoying. Because how can I, how can I interact with that? You know, for, for me, for me, from my experience from the game, because yeah. minus a being, you know, part of the development team, I'm also a player. For me, it's like, as a player, I can't interact when somebody misjudges what I like about the game. In my opinion, of course, it's their own judgment. But, you know, everybody is allowed to have their opinions. And it's always nice to to hear the opinions that resonate in the same way that we do with the games because we play them. Mm. And that's it would be perfect if everybody did. But, you know, mm. it's understandable that that's not the case because there's, you know different lives of path you know different paths of life and different um different like somebody could not be understanding the game because we haven't translated it in that language or somebody is playing the game not being focused on the game for strange land that is usually the case like people you know it's a serious game and it's difficult to to play that by pausing and going taking a nap or like some it's like a game that that demands your attention lack of it makes it more confusing less you know more difficult to grasp but i think the greatness with strangeland is that it starts very flowery and very like you know very poetic and ends mm. up being like more straight and more more forward like more forward to to what it's trying to say and it's like less illusions less you know imagery less confusing parts and it's I think that's what uh, makes people kind of like resonate with it that, you know, it stops being flowering. It's like, okay, yeah, this is what's happening actually the whole time. And and the clown head stops telling jokes, if I remember. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, it stops saying jokes at some point and, and, and the word is like more specific, less confusing to both the character and the player. The, the phone calls are like more and more vicious uh and 
and uh, one of the uh, of the voice actors played the game uh, Lucas uh, Lucas did and uh, this is not a spoiler per se but he said when when the dialogue was getting very vicious he said that that's you know like he said that that's not who I am I know who I am mm. and I think that was a great reaction to what was happening because he understood that you know he gets to decide who he is as a person he will not fall into the depths of grief and despair and depression. Yeah, no, I think that that, um, I, I, again, it's impossible for me to add to anything you Sorry, guys. No, I think we're making it very difficult. No, you, no, but in, not... in a good way, because it is, you know, how you guys are describing and using your own personal experiences um, that it's, and I think, reading people's reviews people reading people's comments that you can tell that this has affected them um so um that grieved you know yes grieved loved ones that have messaged us like this is like a phenomenal game people have cried on stream which Mm. was really new and i've cried with them when they were crying uh and uh i mean i don't know if mark is that sentimental but i am (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like uh, I cry on on many movies I've seen like twenty times. Like it's a wonderful life, for example. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I've cried every time like a baby. Uh, but you know, there's something liberating about crying, and there's something great about like seeing somebody that understands the whole point of the game, and re- you know, um, relieves themselves by crying because it's it's those are not crying because you know it's a sad moment it's a crying because it's an uplifting moment it's a realization it's something that it's like you know somebody saying something nice to somebody else for a change i think i think being human the ability to love as a human is is a humbling thing and it's a great thing to it's the the best thing about being human even though that sounds kind of sappy and kind of corny but like love is what i believe separates us from 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 being into chaos into anarchy because you know when you lose a loved one uh why do we commemorate them you know it's it's Mm. it's because it's about love there's there's no pressure from society to keep going to somebody every year and saying this is the day that they died but we do that because we feel that way yeah no i, I think that's very very well said um now uh, i don't know if you have anything to add mark or anything or i mean the only thing i just because james mentioned the voice acting i can't let it pass without saying oh absolutely i forgot it, we it, didn't it, even get a chance to mention it that the voice yeah, acting it, is fantastic on both games uh, yeah so I, I in particular i just want to mention abe goldfarb who voiced half two-thirds of the characters that he presented dialogue and, um, wow <laughs> out of 10 so um yeah um but he uh it was really um it was it was quite remarkable um his initial take so we we had loved him when he first auditioned for primordia we had liked all of the characters he had auditioned for. And I have like an email where I said, can we just cast Abe as every character? So when we had an opportunity to have one voice actor voice all the characters, um, we we naturally thought Abe would be a good fit. And then we got Abe's initial 
um, take on them. And for like two thirds of the characters, he knocked it out of the park. But for a couple of the characters, um, it was actually like slightly disappointing because he's an amazing voice actor and it felt like he hadn't hit these characters and it caused this big crisis figuring out what to do. And finally, Abe and I just got on the phone and talked about the game and about its themes and its characters. And it was a very emotional call for both of us. Um, and he talked about his experience caring for an older relative with dementia and, you know, Anyway, we had this call, it was a long call, and he sent a second round of takes for the characters who, uh, you know, had been, felt like it was slightly off, and they were just perfect. And from yeah. that point on, I, I mean, I, I just think his performance uh, is is unbelievable. Like, in particular, um, the scribe character, who he does, and so there's like a you have a scribe character in the first part of the game, and then you meet a scribe character in the second part of the game, who's like a hybrid of the protagonist and the scribe from the first part of the game. And his delivery there has this weakness and vulnerability and confusion to it that is utterly heartbreaking. And the like the malice that he brings to the super uh, ego. You know, super yeah. ego um, you know, it's anyway, it's just really it, it it is a joy. I mean, one of the great joys of making games is that it's a team effort. And uh or you know, some people make games all by themselves. I guess Stardew Valley, right, was made by one guy more or less. Um, but with the games that we make, it's a team effort. And so seeing something that starts as an idea in the mind of you know i'm like not a visual person i'm mm -hmm. not an actor you so i i'm not a composer i have some notion of what you want i want the scene to be and then abe vic james come to make it actually into something that's real by adding all of that from themselves and you just realize like you've created something that is is you and isn't you at the same time and that's really kind of, it's really special is like people have, have take drawn out something from you that wasn't, you didn't know was there and they've mixed it with themselves. And it's, I, I don't know that to me in particular, like the ending of the game, um, you know, I think Vic's art there is amazing. Abe's voice mm. acting when he, Abe is arguing with himself, right? He's, he has <laughs> two characters arguing with himself. Uh, and then there's the music, which, you know, is like they're a series of pieces some of Vic some of James and it's just you know in that final moment all of it has come together and it, I don't know it's it's like being able to look in a mirror and be happy about what you see <laughs> right it's a rare That's experience a good approximation yeah oh, no. no sorry go ahead James no, no, uh, go ahead. Uh, I wasn't going to say something, but I was going to say that, you know, Strangeland is made or broken by by Abe because of the sheer amount of of necessity of talent. Mm. And uh, have you seen the Hobbit where uh, the King of Dwarves hugs uh, Frodo Baggins and says, uh, I have never been more wrong in my entire life. Um, yes. 
I feel that that was personally <laughs> me regarding A because his first takes were mediocre. Um, I, I've told this to him in person, and uh, but I've also told him that I I'd like to apologize on behalf of everybody <laughs> because we doubted you and we shouldn't have. And in some way, accidentally, I feel like we put Abe through, through, through not through hell. Hell is a difficult word, but we dragged him a bit across the mud um, by by doubting him. And, and and it's silly in retrospect because Abe is is playing on Broadway, and here we are making a an indie game going. Oh, this is not the right person. <laughs> But it felt that way. But um, uh, Dave, Dave Gilbert was always like, no, Abe can definitely get it. They're friends and uh, irrelevant of that, of course. But like mm. Abe handles voice acting for many games, Primordia 2 and all his games too and other games from other studios. But he was like so adamant about like, we just haven't explained it to Abe. And he suggested a call and uh, sorry, Mark suggested a call when uh, Dave said that and and after that call I, I have no idea what transpired Mark says what he says but that call was like such a catalyst and it made Abe from being like decent in certain parts really good at others and mediocre at other parts to being in my opinion at least like I think he was worthy of, of a BAFTA nomination the very least like oh, even if the game wasn't yeah. as successful I think that's the only reason why he didn't get one. But like his performance is like chilling. It's, 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 I would not change a single line. I've listened to all of them because I had to, to make sure that they're properly done. Like, and it's been a pleasure. Abe, I told him this and I, and he's very modest. I told him all this and he was like, I just did my part. Thank you, James, for the kind words. And I was like, how are you so modest? <laughs> it's talent oozing. Um, yeah, no, from, from what I've, you know, seen of him as well, he's a fantastic actor and he really did give a fantastic performance in Strangeland. So much so that I didn't know he voiced the other characters. I thought he just voiced the main character, but uh, shows what I know. <laughs> yeah, um, he voices once a lot you get of in, Yeah, so, the, you know, this is spoiler territory, but, you know, the <laughs> the last part of the game, you go into a version of the world where everyone has the stranger's head uh inspired by the way by the amazing scene in being john malkovich when malkovich goes into the world of only malkoviches um but every character in that area abe voices so not only wow. the antagonist but he is you know the stranger scribe he does the mouth he's the when it's the big head becomes the stranger's head he does those voices he does the three versions that you meet at the train tracks uh, he does this feral stranger dog thing that you meet. Um, you know, the, it's, I can't remember. I mean, there yeah, uh, it's, it's it's countless. The, yeah, the only character he doesn't do at that stage is the cicada, um, who's voiced by someone else, because that's the one character you meet there who is not the stranger. Abe, yeah. Wow, I had no idea. Um, well, well, yeah, no, definitely I would agree that he was absolutely fantastic uh and he's also believe in unavowed and he's fantastic yes. in, in that as well yeah he's on um, un, he's in unavowed um i don't know if he's gonna be in old skies that dave is working on um but i said uh if we ever make another game together dave 
you want to cast Abe, I will say get him. <laughs> I will not ask. You go get him. Uh, no, absolutely. Um, well, now I was planning on asking you more about the upcoming game, but what I would like to do is, because I don't want to rush through that, I would like to invite you guys back uh, when that game is released or close to time of release and we can have a proper discussion about that game as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you guys would like to come back, of course. I, of course. Maybe you don't want to hear from me again. <laughs> no, no, no. It has been wonderful. Be- because I've really genuinely loved the conversation and I don't want to rush through discussion on uh, your upcoming game, Fallen Gods, um, mm-hmm. which, and I didn't know until now that there was a Steam paid for. I've just wishlisted it. Um, oh, thank you. So, uh, do do you have any any ideas at all when the game might be released? Now I know that it might be very difficult to answer, but any ideas at all? We are hoping less? this year. Okay, um, so pretty soon we'll be back on yeah. the podcast. Then um, we, yeah, no, we've gotten a lot of headway into it. Um, you know, they just you know basically all the content is in. Um, we're just right now polishing. I mean, it's taken us so long to make it that we're not going to rush it. I mean, I just Absolutely. want Absolutely. Um but you know, this is like this is in its own way a very personal project, but I also just think the nice thing about making your own games and not being beholden to, you know, funder or something is just take as long as we want. <laughs> as long as we can Absolutely. stand Absolutely. Um but hopefully this year is is the goal. Okay, well, I would love to have you guys back on again where we can discuss this game in more detail. So we're going to mm-hmm. stop this interview with kind of a cliffhanger, which I hate. So this is part one of our interview. And then hopefully in a few weeks or months uh, or pretty soon, we can have you guys back on again to talk about um, Fallen Gods and uh, other things which we didn't get around to today. So um, mm-hmm. so to fi- to finish off then, um, wh- where can people uh, will find Primordia and Strangeland uh, if they haven't already played it? <laughs> so Primordia, thank you for the for the plug. Uh, Primordia, it can be found on Steam and GOG. Uh, Steam has four platforms, Windows, Linux, Macintosh, and Steam Deck. Uh, GOG doesn't have Steam Deck, obviously, has Windows, Macintosh, and uh, and Linux. And you can get Primordia on the Switch, too. Wow. Uh, which is nice, yes. Uh, it's been a long dream <laughs> to, to be a Nintendo developer. Um, Strangeland can be found oh, in, on in the, the iPhone. It's an yeah, iPhone yeah, or iPad. Yes, too. correct. Uh, both, uh, no, sorry, only Primordia is on iOS. Uh, but yes, correct. <clears throat> so, uh, Strangeland, on the other hand, is available on all of these except Switch and iOS. Uh, right now, Wajedai um, is not doing iOS. There's no, it's little, it's not the same market anymore. So it's like mm. work for little audiences, unfortunately. Um, but yes, hopefully. Hopefully, we'll get a switch port at some point. It's Strangeland is a very complex game mm. to to put to the switch. It's a complex game in terms of coding, unfortunately. So that's been a that's been a problem. But mm. uh, I'm working on solving it. So uh, 
but uh, yeah, we're focusing a bit on on fallen gods with Mark. It's been a pleasure working again with him. I I joined lately on the on the on the project. Uh, it's only been like I think about a year now, more or less. I think that I think that's right. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, hopefully that will be. Um, I mean. I'm hoping it's not going to take 10 more years. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it's been worked on daily. Uh, I was doing work before we we entered the the podcast, so it's it's always progressing, so that's nice. It's it's a wonderful project. I have very little input to it. This is all Mark and his team at this point. But uh, that's okay. I'm helping it bring it to fruition and I'm very very happy and and feel privileged for 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 doing that. Uh, no, fa- fantastic! And this will be available on Steam as well. Fallen Gods. I'm just reading through it, and yeah, no, we definitely need another interview to go through it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but th- that game is Fallen Gods. I will include links to uh, what you said, Steam and GOG, and and the official websites for those games, so to make it mm-hmm. easier for people to wishlist and play if you haven't yet uh, already. And uh, and yeah, I very much look, I've really enjoyed speaking to you guys. I could easily speak for another few hours and we probably will um, <laughs> very, very, very soon. Um, but um, no, thank you so much uh, for talking about, uh, well, yourselves and your, your games as well. I still have more questions that I'd like to ask, more things, but we'll be talking about it in part two. Um, is there anything that you guys would like to finish off saying now? Um, before we finish off for now. Um, I don't know, Mark, if there's anything you'd like to to say to people listening? Just, just thank you to you and to your listeners and, of course, everyone who's played Primordia and Strangeland and supported us over the years. I, I mean, having the opportunity to talk to you and to your listeners, that is why we do this, is to have these connections and these relationships. So thank you mm. very much. No, well, thank you very much for coming on. And, and James, any... Any final words for now? I'm not going to kill you, I promise. <laughs> okay, I am not I mean... going to execute you. <laughs> but anything you'd like to, to, to say to finish off? Uh, pretty much the same. Thank you. Thank you so much for, for having us. And uh, it's going to be very interesting to to scheme through and cut and edit. Uh, but uh, we, we do get to talk a lot about our games, but it's I think it's the passion. But... Uh, yeah, I mean, as a kid growing up, I I always wanted to be where I am, doing what I'm doing now. And uh, it's only been possible because of Mark's uh, belief in me and, uh, and Vic's belief and Dave's belief in me and everybody that I have worked with that believes in me. And of course, more importantly, the people that play our games support us not only financially, but like make all of this and all the struggles we have uh, really worth it and and we love supporting our games as much as we humanly can and more sometimes oh well thank you to to you you both uh, mark Johalem and uh, james spanos mm-hmm. um and uh and yeah we will be speaking uh, hopefully very, very soon, because I've really, really enjoyed The time has flown for me. And I hope, I imagine oh, for yeah. people listening as well. Um, mm-hmm. But the very, very best of luck with Fallen Gods. And I really look forward to playing it myself and discussing it with you guys uh, very, very soon. So thank you. Thank you All so right. much. Bye-bye.
So that was my interview with Mark Johalem and James Panis of Wormwood Studios. I hope you enjoyed it. Um, and it was absolutely fantastic uh, speaking to them. And I really hope to speak to them again very soon, uh, just when their new game, Fallen Gods, is released. We will have links to other games, uh, Primordia, Strangeland, and Fallen Gods, uh, in the show notes. So, um, as I'm sure people know, if you are interested, go ahead and wishlist in particular Fallen Gods to share support to these two guys. And... Um, and yeah, and I hope to speak to them again very soon. So once again, thank you to Mark and James. Uh, it was an absolute pleasure. Now, uh, in future, we will have uh, more uh, reviews coming up. We will have more interviews coming up. Still a couple more from my uh, time at two conferences. WASD uh, will come up. And you can listen back to my interviews. I did, of course, The Fall and Rise of Adventure Games with Tony Warner. I spoke to Jorg Tittle. I spoke to John Ingle, to Dave Gilbert at WASD. And uh, plenty more. They, are, they should be up now and several more still to come. Uh, and uh, make sure to subscribe to this podcast to make sure that you get all the episodes automatically. You can check out our YouTube channel. There will be some reviews of games. Uh, so follow so these trailers and follow by screenshots and reviews of the games as well. Um, and uh, yeah, so subscribe to our socials. As I said, in particular, uh, the YouTube and uh, the podcast, wherever you listen to podcasts. And uh, we'll be with you again very soon. So thanks as always for your support. Take care, everyone. Goodbye. So that was my interview with Mark Johalem and James Panis of Wormwood Studios. I hope you enjoyed it. Um, and it was absolutely fantastic uh, speaking to them. And I really hope to speak to them again very soon, uh, just when their new game, Fallen Gods, is released. We will have links to other games, uh, Primordia, Strangeland, and Fallen Gods, uh, in the show notes. So, um, as I'm sure people know, if you are interested, go ahead and wishlist in particular Fallen Gods to share support to these two guys. And, um, and yeah, and I hope to speak to them again very soon. So, once again, thank you to Mark and James. Uh, it was an absolute pleasure. Now, uh, in future, we will have uh, more uh, reviews coming up. We will have more interviews coming up. Still a couple more from my uh, time at two conferences. WASD uh, will come up. And you can listen back to my interviews. I did, of course, The Fall and Rise of Adventure Games with Tony Warner. I spoke to Jorg Tittle. I spoke to John Ingle, to Dave Gilbert at WASD. And uh, plenty more. They, are, they should be up now and several more still to come. Uh, and uh, make sure to subscribe to this podcast to make sure that you get all the episodes automatically. You can check out our YouTube channel. There will be some reviews of games. Uh, so follow so these trailers and follow by screenshots and reviews of the games as well. Um, and uh, yeah, so subscribe to our socials. As I said, in particular, uh, the YouTube and uh, the podcast, wherever you listen to podcasts. And uh, we'll be with you again very soon. So thanks as always for your support. Take care, everyone. Goodbye.